And they were all sitting around and said, well, Mr. Mapes, uh, do you believe past lives are real? And I said, it doesn't matter what I believe. And they said, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean it doesn't matter? And I said, it doesn't matter. It only matters what the person believes. Mysterious World, with your host, Stuart Palm. Join us as we connect across time and space, exploring the mysteries of our world and your world. Welcome to Mysterious World. I am Stuart Palm, like the palm of your hand, and I'm pretty excited about today's show. The day after I recorded the interview you're about to hear uh, was a great day, and it's a great interview, but uh, I have to say that James Mapes totally got me high, and I'm not saying that uh, any illicit substances were abused or used, but somehow after I had a long conversation with him and we talked about another hour after um, I got done with this recording... Uh, I just felt great and I felt, uh, great about, uh, my life and this project and all kinds of things. And the next day I got a lot done and it just put me in a good place. He has a way of, uh, just making you feel good. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. I think, uh, I think he has a way. Anyway, um, it's a great conversation and it, it, uh, started because I saw a TEDx talk. He became a friend on Facebook at some point through other entertainers and hypnotists. Um, but I saw that he posted that he did it's TEDx and I watched it and it was fantastic. And his focal point is on people using their imaginations and connecting with their own imaginations in this talk. And you should watch the talk. I'm going to put uh, the video on the mysterious world podcast page so you can do that. Um, but I was like, I, I saw the talk and I thought, I got, I got to get this guy. He he's, he's, should be a guest on this show. I want to talk to him. I want to pick his brain. And then I, I chatted with him briefly before we scheduled the interview. And he sent me some links to his materials that he's, uh, some projects he's worked on that I might not have been able to find. And it was fascinating because he's done a whole series on past life work. And past life reductions and it's done in a way that I like and a lot of people these days do past life reductions and a lot of the past life reductions have their own beliefs built into them and I don't feel good about that but James Mapes does it in such a way that he is a curious fascinated observer and he does not attempt to define what is happening, whether or not that's truly their past life or whether it's, it's not for him to say it's for them to decide for themselves. And I think that's the way that uh, people should approach mentalism as well. You've got to decide how, what you believe on any of these sorts of things, but you do, uh, no matter what you decide, it's going to affect you on some level. It's going to communicate something to you on an unconscious level. 
I'd like to know your experiences with past lives. Since I started talking about this to people uh, around town, uh, I've had a lot of interesting re- reception. And some people who I didn't know who had past life uh, work done shared their in recordings of their entire experiences. And it's fascinating stuff. Someday I will experience that for myself to see what that's like. And I will do that for other people as well. I wasn't, I didn't think I would take that on, but now after um, focusing on this for a few weeks, I decided that I need to have some past life experiences. I need to guide people through this strange and mysterious world and, and see where we go. So I want to know your thoughts on that. Uh, let us know at the website, mysteriousworldpodcast.com. Uh, you can also just go to stuartpalm.com and uh, click the podcast button. You'll get there. Also, I've added a donation button because, you know, I'm doing this for free because it's a passion project and I love doing it. Uh, so if you love it, pop in there and donate anything you'd like. It doesn't, um, there's no set amount. It's up to you to decide. But anything you can give is very helpful if you love this show you can uh, let me know. As they say, don't applaud, just throw money. So James Mapes, uh, he's written a book. Uh, he's written a few books. Uh, one of them that he's seen, he talks about in this interview um, is still in the works and will be an interactive thing that sounds fascinating. Uh, but his, his book that uh, is well known is Quantum Leap Thinking. And uh, it's an early book in that sort of mindset that that seems to be well accepted now and and well um, followed that uh, consciousness is quantum and is not part of the world of physics or or you know non quantum physics. And he he sent me a copy of it and I've been reading it and it's a fantastic book and I highly recommend you get a copy and um, it can be life-changing thing for you. I'm, I'm still going through it myself and uh, I've been on a good plane, man. I've been in a good place since I chatted with James Mapes. You can learn more about James at uh, jamesmapes.com and realhypnosis.com and also on Twitter at James Mapes. Uh, that's J-A-M-E-S-M-A-P-E-S uh, for those of you. Who are watching the tweets? You know, I it, all the time that I've um, had Twitter, I still don't regularly go there. It's not a go-to place for me to read things or experience things, and I'm trying to figure out how to make that more for something that I do in my life. Uh, you can let me know how by going to at Stuart Palm. Um, I did make one for the podcast in itself, but hey, you know, I might as well just run one of them and see how that goes and see if I can get it to do something. But uh, you know, let me know that there's a reason to keep t- tweeting things uh at Stuart palm also today is the 14th of march 3.14 for the americans uh and that is pi day so happy pi day jason latimer the magician made a really nice uh video i just watched uh celebration of pi day so check that out uh also this month the 23rd watch out for the 23rd of march that's the full moon and and it was a funny day already for me because of all the nights that people want to book me for events, it seems that everybody wants to have that night. And I don't know if they're aware that it's the full moon, but it seems to be a strong one. Because not only is it going to be a full moon, 
it is going to be a lunar eclipse known as the penumbral lunar eclipse. So keep your eyes to the sky for that. Go on Google and look it up. Let's jump into this interview. I'm very happy to share with you my chat with James Mapes. because of that link that you sent me with the um, past life exploration, which is fascinating. And I have been meaning to do a show that has a conversation about past lives and, and interests into past lives. And so I think it's a great place to start. How, how did you end up um, exploring past lives as a hypnotist? Well, I had a clinic in New York for 12 years uh, starting around 1973. <clears throat> and during that time, I moved into different phases of clinical work from the usual stuff we start with, weight, smoking, self-confidence. And then I did about five years with athletes. And then I got very interested in memory recovery. So I worked up into uh, an arena of being able to work with the New York Police Department, child abuse victims. <clears throat> and then I had heard about past life regression, curious, uh, not necessarily any belief system there, but there was a wonderful kind of cowboy hypnotist by the name of Richard Sutphin, who you've probably heard of. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the mid-70s, I, I think it was mid-70s, I flew out to California just for the heck of it to take a course, because I had never taken a course like that. I had no idea what to expect. And it was, I think, three days. I have very little memory of it, except that during it, uh, I was put in a state. Now, obviously, being trained as an actor and, and my imagination is always going, I went through what was either a real or an imagined experience. And it really knocked me out because even though I knew I was doing it, <clears throat> there was a lot of wisdom in it. And it huh. told me a lot about myself. Um, and so when I came back to, uh, to New York, I started doing uh, kind of under the radar because I didn't want to be known as a past life regression guy. The right. credibility there is a little shaky. But, and still but is. I put the word out. <laughs> and and I would do these past life regressions, and it got me it got me uh, interested enough that I put together a solid uh, day long workshop, and I came up with the idea that if you did one past life with a person, you would help them glean information. But what if I did? three or four or five past lives. What if I did your most loving, your most, uh, I forgot what they are because it's been so long, but your most loving, your most evil, uh, your, your, uh, the one you learn the most, but there were right. four or five. So during, you know, I would have a group of people 
uh, from 10 to 30 people. And I was doing a lot of performing, so I was able to move around to universities and a very solid reputation in the late 70s and early 80s. So I could round up these people who were interested in this. And it was like magic because each one of these, you would do one and you'd have a discussion with the people. You would do a totally different one and their eyes would open wider and the third one. And they started, it was called the name of the program was yeah. called Life Patterns. It just dawned on me. I forgot about it. Life nice. Patterns. Because what you started to see is something that recurred through each of these past lives that gave you a mirror to be able to look at your present life and see decisions you were making that you could change. So that's originally what got me started in this. Then I decided that I was doing 150 stage shows a year at universities around the U.S., and there were only three of us at this time. There was Gil right. Eagles, Ken Weber, and myself. Wow. So I decided, since my specialty was age regression, and I had, was the only one who was doing that in their stage show, because it's, no, you know, you're dancing on thin ice with Gil and Weber weren't doing uh, hypnosis, were they, or, or were they doing it as well? They were doing mostly mentalism, but when we all started, we were all doing hypnosis and mentalism. Okay. And by the way, I was just, I was just communicating with Ken Weber yesterday <laughs> down here. Uh, uh, Ken's great. He wanted, yeah, so he, he's, he said, please come to Meeting in the Minds, and I said, I'll be there. Uh, so uh, then I decided, wouldn't it be interesting if I did this age regression, which I use three people at once with flip charts, taking them back by signature from their present age to the age of 11 I, to the age of five. I love that sequence. Always, is that original? I've used that sequence before. Is that yours or, or where did you pick that up? The bringing them no, back no, to their I, signature I, thing? I, yeah. No, I, I, that was mine. Totally. No one had ever done it. Nobody at that time would touch it. Wow. And very few people, by the way, would, would do it now. Uh, I, I I don't know where I came across that, but it it definitely would have gone back to you. But I didn't know I was ripping you off. But apparently I have. Um, I've done no, you it. Aren't. Nobody's nobody's ripping anyone off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you know how it is. I, I've done it in I one know, show because I, 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 I somebody was talking to me about it. And I was like, that's fascinating. I want to try it, and it was beautiful. You know, you get the the change of the signatures and the child signature. And then when I saw uh, the tape of you doing that on, on your promo material, I, I wondered if, if that was your baby, if that was something that you came up with and discovered. Yeah. Yeah. I would start with one person and then over the years, you know, there are some issues with that. So I built in all sorts of safeguards uh -huh. so that nothing negative could ever happen on stage. And besides that, you know, and I know that you get so good at reading physiology, skin texture, tone, yeah. body language, that if you see anybody moving towards anything, all you have to do is touch them and say, at the count of three, you'll open your eyes and you'll recall the happiest memory of your life. And that's right. it. You send it back. So never an issue. So then I decided that what I do is I take two of those people. Well, first of all, I would ask a question. 
how, how I chose the three people to do the regression with present life regression is I had say 20 people on stage right. and I'd say, raise your arm or your arm will go up. If you believe you lived a past life and that the past life you lived somehow impacted is impacting your present life and that you're willing to go through a past life. So three people would raise their arms or two, and I would still do the age regression present life with three people at once. I would immediately take two of those people, put one on each side of me, and then do like a dueling past life where I take them in a structure up into their death and then have them come up with one sentence that explained the lesson they learned from the past life and how they could apply it to this life. So it basically on stage was a healing. Yeah. And there were many miracles, by the way, from this. Now, having said that, I think the first or second or third time I did it was at Holy Cross College in Worcester, Mass. And I got, it was a sold out audience. I got a standing ovation. And the next day, my phone rang. And it was my manager of 37 years. I mean, he was, at that time, it wasn't 37 years. It was like, I don't know, seven years. Uh, and he said, have you read the paper? Have you heard anything? I said, heard what? I, been, I think I lived in uh, Leonia, New Jersey at the time. And he said, well, the headline in the Worcester Gazette or whatever it was, it says, Mapes Band as Heretic. I said, what? So not only did I get banned from Holy Cross as a heretic, within a week I lost all my bookings at all the Jesuit schools. Oh, wow. Around the U.S. Yeah. I was booked. I mean, I was an award-winning showman hypnotist. I won the first Campus Entertainer of the Year Award that ever was given. And I immediately lost like five. So I remember Esther Eagles got very upset with me. But I, uh, but I have to preface this by saying at that time I was also very arrogant. And Esther said, you've got to stop doing this or you're going to ruin it for the rest of us. Oh, yeah. And, of course, at that time, in 82, I had the philosophy, nobody's going to tell me to do anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lot mellower now, but I was pretty, you know, tough. And so I kept doing it. Uh, and I did it for 35 years at UConn in my 2,000-person stage show. Um, wow. and so, yeah, the only place I won't do it is at a high school. Okay. Uh, like I would do Choate, Hotchkiss, Choate, Hotchkiss, Kingswood, Oxford, Hartford. I would, I would do the age regression carefully because they're young students. They're like 17, 16, 15. Right. And, uh, so, so that, so, so that was, uh, so that was very curious for many years. In fact, I will tell you, uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Westport, Connecticut at all, but uh, in Westport, bit. Connecticut, yeah, there's there's what's called the Westport Country Playhouse. Okay. And it was one of the star packages where in the old days they would take stars in one play and move them to Nantucket and they'd move them to Maine. And that's how they rehearsed the play. Mm. Well, years ago, I was hired in my hometown to do a week at, well, I was actually a Broadway producer produced me there. And 
So I was one night I was doing uh, the past life, and actually David Copperfield's director directed the show, and it was the first time I had a full set. It was truly a magical week, a magical experience, and uh, and I did I did the past life with two people, mm-hmm. uh, and one or one, I can't remember, but it was a guy in a suit and a tie and he got down next to me on his hands and knees. And I thought, oh my God, you know, this is my community. I've got a lot of high power people in the audience. What's going on here? <laughs> and I asked him a question. He didn't answer. And I thought, oh, oh my God, he's a paraplegic mute. And what am I going to do? And I couldn't get him to talk. I couldn't get him to do anything. So I said, I kind of, my mind kind of scrambled and I said, all right, you, you cannot speak in the English language, but you can convert to the English language and tell me whatever your situation is, you'll be able to tell me what is going on. So I said, who are you? And he goes, a dog. (laughs) Wow. And well, the audience went insane. So then I started to ask questions, playing with that, you know, but in a, but in a, in a really good psychological way. And of course, the answers were simple, straightforward. They all got a laugh. I brought them back. I sent it back to the audience at the end of the show. And two weeks later, I found out he was one of the most prominent surgeons in Norwalk Hospital. Oh, he wow. had no memory of the event whatsoever. Had you, had you told them lives. they would not remember? I always, here's what I say at the end of the, the regression. You will not remember anything that could cause you any emotional distress, unhappiness, there you go. Uh, but you will remember everything that could cause you joy, teach you a lesson. And that's what I, that's what I say. That's great. I, one of the problems that I have uh, personally with the idea of doing past life regressions is when I see them being done with someone who is adding their own belief to the situation uh, because it's such a dangerous thing to do. And one of the things I loved when I watched your uh, tape that you you um, sent me the link to was that your character in the situation is a curious, fascinated observer. And I know that because I'm completely inspired and now I have to go try and experiment and explore this territory. Um, but that's where I come from. I'm an, I'm an observer and I'm, I'm an explorer of consciousness and unconsciousness. But there has to be a... a I, I just wonder, after all of the times that you've done this, what do you end up feeling is happening or do you, do you know one way or the other? What have you, how do you feel about the experience? We'll, we'll talk about the TV show in, 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 in a moment, but I will tell you when I was out meeting with all the executives from sci, the sci-fi channel, right. they were all sitting around and said, well, Mr. Mapes, uh, do you believe past lives are real? And I said, it doesn't matter what I believe. Right, and they said, "What do you what do you what do you mean? It doesn't matter." And I said, "It doesn't matter. It only matters what the person believes." And and that's how I've always felt about this: Is it real? Is it imagined? It doesn't matter. But if it is real, then what is it? Well, 
if we do an age regression, you know, most of our memories are made up anyhow, and then we believe them, and then sure. we act on them, and then they become real. But if um, if it's real, to me, it's some kind of a genetic reflection that can be tapped into with hypnosis, yeah. and and that's that's what I because. What what I've seen over the years and what my wife is saying and what other people have witnessed, there are profound healings that happen through past life regression. Now, maybe they would happen through age regression, you know, uh, uh, working with people's memories or the different things that therapists do. But the reality is that when it happens with past life regression, it's like turning a switch. Somebody who's had a neck pain for 25 or 30 years, they, they go back and they were hung. They open their eyes, the pain's gone. I mean, they're, they're literally, I witnessed hundreds of these things where people would change vocally, they would change a belief, they would let go of a fear of water or fear of failure or uh, fear of whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, you could, there's no... There's no limitation on what I've seen happen through past life regression. So right. I don't know that anyone can explain it. People try. People have their own belief systems like religion. But the reality is I'm still, like you, the curious observer, and fascinated that this could happen. But as you know, it's a skill. Anytime you tamper with, a, and you are tampering with a person's memory bank, you have to be very cautious. And you, with past life regression, the audience would always cry. It's a wonder I got away with it. Hmm. You know, college students are very uh, emotional anyhow, but they would, I mean, people would be sobbing when somebody would be sobbing up there doing a past life or somebody died because they also take him through. I jump people, as you probably remember from yeah. that to the next important point. So it doesn't linger too long. Yeah. Uh, and then you pass so them through their that's death. That's my feeling. Which is a really poignant them, moment. Yep. I take them gently into their death and then they let it go and they feel good about letting it go. And then looking back at that life, real or imagined, I always say, so that, so that I give their subconscious the choice uh, to to say, you know, maybe this is just too much. It was imagined, but real or imagined, you learned something. And yeah. what did you learn in one sentence that could be applied to this life? Oh, that's great. That's some powerful stuff. That's that's beautiful. Um, when you're doing your pre-talk for it, do you do you bring up the possibility of it being real or imagined as you sort of bring the audience well, into the idea? Well, when I did the television show with that audience, uh, I had a couple requirements before the audience came in because it was a TV show and I was putting my own money into it. Yeah, right. So, you know, number one, you had to believe in past lives. Number two, you had to believe that a past life affected you somehow in this life, and you had to be willing to be hypnotized to do a regression. So, right. when I did the pre show for this, I did the pendulum, I did. Uh, saying whether it's real or imagined <clears throat> is immaterial. It is uh, it, it is the power of your imagination or the reality of your genetic history that 
is influencing you. And by re-experiencing this in a safe way, uh, with, with in a safe environment, you can not only learn something, you can transform your life by making a new decision that yeah. will that will transform your life in the present. I like that. What what ended up happening with, with the show? Is it something that's still floating around in possibility land? Or? Well, well, one never knows because I keep it hidden. But right. what happened? It's a, it's somewhat of a tragic story, but a learning experience. I made friends. Well, I, first of all, I observed John Edward. Right. And then Lucy Arnaz had him over to her house. And Lucy Arnaz and her husband, Lawrence Sutton, but Lucy Arnaz is Lucille Ball's daughter, mm-hmm. Desi Arnaz's daughter. Right. And they live like 15 minutes from us, and they're really, really good friends. They live in Palm Desert now, but they live near us forever. And uh, we've been friends for, I don't know, 30 years. So. She knew my interests, and and uh, her her personal assistant had a kind of a tragic ending, and she, and John Edward was a good friend of hers. So she had him over the house one night, and she invited a very select group of people. I think there were about fifteen to twenty of us, and uh, I I remember I came in the house and and. Uh, I said, where's John? Because I wanted to meet him. He said, well, he's preparing in the other room. And I said, fiddle paddle on that. I went in, <laughs> introduced himself. And he was he was so gentle and so nice. Yeah. And the two hours that he did in that living room, well, being a mentalism, you know every trick in the book about cold reading. And, uh, and I don't know every trick, but I know a lot. So I figured that's all that was. Mm-hmm. Except after the two hours, all of a sudden I'm going, wait a minute. Yeah. Holy moly. There is something. There's no billets. There's no anything. Right. There's something going on here. So I I said to myself, said I, if he can do that with talking to dead people, why can't I do that with past lives? So sure. I sketched out an idea. I took a heavy bank loan out. Uh, I uh, Well, there was a group of us that started a professional theater artist workshop in Westport, Connecticut in 1982, and it was Delay from 2001, his late wife, and Baxter, Eileen Heckard, and uh, a number, and myself, a number of other people, there were 13 of us. So this workshop still exists today, and because I'm one of the founding board members, I get to try out whatever I want to try out, which, by the way, is what's happening at the end of May. It's what I did with um, my TEDx talk. Right. Uh, it's what I did with a with a with a talk that Spencer Johnson, I don't know if you know who Spencer Johnson is, who moved my cheese and uh, Peaks and Valleys. Spencer hired me to create a lecture out of his book Peaks and Valleys. So I try all this stuff out there, and I, they let me uh, build a studio in there, and I hired a four camera crew, and we created this. And then I was very blessed. Uh, I had a wonderful editor, uh, and a fellow, do you remember the the actor Joel McRae? He was a contemporary of John Wayne's. No. He, he did a number of westerns. Okay. And his son is Peter McRae, who's a good friend. He said, do you want me to help you edit this? And I thought, I don't know that Peter knows anything about this at all. So he spent 148 hours with me, 
editing this. What wow. I didn't know, he was a Hollywood editor for 10 years, but I didn't even know it during the process. <laughs> he just gave me, his, he gave me his time because he's a loving human being. <clears throat> so I took this 20-minute reel out to Hollywood, and my wife's uh, stepfather was very powerful in the Hollywood scene. He was an older man then. And I got off the plane. He took me up to William Morris to see Mormon Brokaw the same day, who was like the ex-head of William Morris. Okay. Uh, and, you know, he Norman looked at this for five, little less than five minutes. He said, wow, you got something here, kid. And he called up an agent and said, get up here. And she took me on that day and put me together with the writer who created Jerry Springer and Sally Jeffrey Raphael, who became my partner. And we had to come up with a plan. My intention was to sell this to sci-fi. Right. So, but he didn't know that was my intention. He wanted to try NBC, ABC, and so forth. So we set up all these meetings, Oprah with Oxygen, and sure enough, we ended up selling it to Sci-Fi. Now, this is a while ago. Yeah. And you, this is, geez, I don't even know how long ago. It was 18 years. Um, so I went back to Connecticut. Bert lived in Rybrook, which is only about a half hour from me. Mm-hmm. He called me up and he said, are you sitting down? He said, I got some good news and bad news. And I said, oh, what's... The good news, sci-fi wants to buy this. Wow. What's the bad news? They think you're too old to host it, and they want to have another host who's a younger guy, right? So I I didn't go with my gut, uh, and my gut said, (laughs) I don't want to say this on your radio show. (laughs) It's okay. Go for it. You know what I want? I, you know, I just wanted to say, you know what? Tell them to go screw themselves. Yeah. And that's the end of that. But no, I didn't. I went against my gut, which was a life lesson. And I said, so what do they want me to do? They said, well, here's what they want to pay. They want to do an international search for a mini you and have you come out to California and audition the other hypnotists from around the world. Now, I, as I said, I, that was a huge mistake. Hmm. So I said, oh, yeah, I will. So now I swallow my pride. I go out to Hollywood. They fly in hypnotists from around the world, from Las Vegas, and for two days, with all the executives in a studio, I had to coach these people. It was a nightmare. Oh, my God. First, you had somebody who was like a spiritual woman coming in in gowns who talked like, you know, and they just looked at each other. There were like three or four or five of these. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Las Vegas. Well, we're going to do a past life regression. Sit down, sleep. You know, it was just like a Las Vegas show. And they went crazy. They hated They couldn't find anyone. <laughs> so I'll, I'll never forget. Now, this is even more comical. And I was just getting angrier and angrier. And, but I was getting paid good money and Bert was there and we're looking at each other. And, uh, so the final, the final person audition, another disaster. 
and all the studio executives look at me and say, Mates, why don't you go up and show them how it's done? That snapped me over the edge. I said, wait a minute. You want me to go up there cold with the subjects you brought in to do a past life regression, which I just spent $50,000 on and four months and five months of my life creating a show for you? Are you crazy? That was the end of that. So <laughs> I took it back, and I had to make a decision. Um, and I had grown a little bit emotionally at that time, and my career had shifted again. Yeah. So I said, I don't think I want to be known as the past life guy, because if I could sell this, that would be my life. Is that the life you want? That is not the life I want. It was a kind of a whim and what because I do this all the time. I get these these ideas and I make them happen and then they're successful and then I don't. I want to do something new. <laughs> um, so then I put it on Vimeo under uh, uh, under a password and that's where it is today. Right. Well, I, I feel blessed to be able to uh, have watched it. Thank you. It was uh, it was quite quite an experience, man. That's a great story as well. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, so today, uh, I'm gathering that you are known as the imagination guy, and, or at least well, that's the angle me. you're going with. Because, and actually, and, and I think um, yeah. that's from my perspective, extremely successful. Because I discovered you um, probably through things being shared on social media, because we know some of the same people. But the first thing I watched was your TEDx. And I thought, this is fantastic. And you ended it quoting Willy Wonka. And I used to sing that in my show. So you hit me hard. <laughs> I was like, okay, this guy, <laughs> this guy's fantastic. I, I sing that song to my son almost every night because it's a brilliant song. And uh, it, it's directly to the point of what I believe uh, is a very powerful thing in the imagination. And my, my background is in fine art. So the, the coupling of fine art and mentalism and hypnosis and understanding that it's all to do with the power of the imagination, really, you know, when I saw your, your TEDx, I went, okay, he's, this guy gets it and he gets it better than I know. So... I've got to talk to this person. So that's how I, that's how I decided I, I got to get James Mapes on the recording and have a chat with him because he's cool. Um, and, and I love yeah. that you have no, we, so many hats that you're an actor and you're, you do, you've done all these things. What were you going to say? Well, no, I was going to say, did, were you trained when you say fine arts? What were you trained in? Uh, I have a, a, a bachelor of fine arts. I studied at the Maryland Institute in Baltimore, uh, in painting, I have a degree in painting, uh, but I started very young doing tra uh, traditional classic uh, figure drawing, and so you know, I, I I do uh, I do the classics, and these days I still do illustration work and and my own drawing stuff and keep it going, keep the skills going. Excellent. You know, when you said this, I have uh, really moved into the social media, and I'll tell you why. Uh, and, uh, my daughter it, wrote a book on this. She started uh, research, oh, about a year and a half ago, and I was fairly good on social media, uh, but her book is about people under over 60 who know nothing about social media, people 
over 60 who, you know, dabble and know a little bit, people over 60 who know a lot, and people over 60 who are superstars. And so I became one of her case studies. So she immediately came over the house, taught me how to use Hootsuite, which now I'm moving to a different platform. But I ramped up my followers on Twitter, I don't know, from 1,000 to 12,000, on LinkedIn to, I don't know, whatever I've got. Um, but I really realized the power. But also during that time, I was wrapping up a book that I've been working on for 14 years. And by the way, financially, I put my life in this book. Yeah. And it's called Imagine Imagine That, Igniting Your Brain for Creativity and Peak Performance. Which awesome. Is, yeah, which is, which is right here next to me. I got the first what is called an ARC, an advanced review copy. And it's still, now right as we speak, it's being indexed. And then I have to do all the PR because I want to hire the publicist and it's going to be, I'm going to be doing a fundraiser for this, by the way, which you'll probably see because <laughs> you're talking about a 50, 50 grand for, for a really top notch publicist for a, cause, yeah. cause this book is the first, the first web interactive book ever done that stands on its own as a book. In other words, in Barnes and Noble, this, you're going to be stopped in your tracks by the cover and it's a 305 page book. Right. You never have to go to the web, but I recorded 21 clips that are pretty slick. You know, one clip is uh, teaching you or coaching you as the book does. You can either do the book or go to the web and right. watch the clip. Do they have the, the like uh, QR codes on them or something so you can click your phone on it you, to get the link or something? You will have that. Yeah. On we'll probably have that on the Amazon, uh, mm. but. This has one link on Vimeo, and each clip has a password. Right. There, there are 21 video and two audio. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a there's one on how do you know when you're loved. There's there's and that's a very powerful thing I developed out of NLP. Uh, there's one on uh, how to reframe your thinking, but it but it's visual, so you get it. You get it. You know. You yeah. can train yourself within. 15 seconds how to reframe from positive, negative to positive. So, so I'm extremely excited. It covers uh, first chapter from the brain. It goes up to mental tools. Uh, it, it goes right through it. So, so, so having when I made the decision and settled on the name, because it had like six or seven names over the years, I decided no one had branded themselves as an imaginologist, which the word imagine. I woke up one night and I said, I wonder if this is a word uh, about five months ago. Yeah. So it is, I think Freud coined it or something for, but it's not, it's not a word that most people know. So no. I said, that's my brand. That is because it covers mentalism. It covers hypnosis. It covers past lives. It covers acting. It covers writing. It covers everything. And as you saw in the TEDx talk, it's all about harnessing and focusing. Yeah. Mystery of the Week. Today's Mystery of the Week comes from an online uh, article that I saw from a firstamericans.com. Um, it's not a new idea. It's just something that caught my eye and something I've been thinking about and it's been in the back of my mind since I read it. And I'm curious what the listeners think about the concept 
of where dreams come from. The title of the article was Where Our Soul Goes When We Dream According to Native Americans. And I'm just going to read a little excerpt here. According to Native Americans, we have three souls. First is the ego soul, which is embodied in the breath. The second is the body soul, which gives the body energy and life force during a waking state. And the third is the free soul, which is the soul that leaves the body during dreams and trances. And this rang a chord with me because whenever I went through uh, my own transformative experience of having brain surgery and recovering from that, I started to experience myself in three parts. And even though I've done a few talks where I've talked about this situation and tried to define this, I've had a hard time doing it. Yet this article does a good job of laying it out in a slightly different way than I've been able to word it before. So we have a dream world. There is a dream world. There is a other dimension, I guess you would say. And our soul or part of our soul or one of our three souls, part of our own trinity, actually leaves our body and goes off and communicates in this other dimension. And animals do it and plants do it and everything does this in in some way. And I love that idea. And I love the idea of giving importance and not trying to subjugate this soul, because I think that's what the modern world, at least the modern Western world, a lot of the time does. It subjugates the free soul from this model. And if we don't recognize and respect our free soul, then we end up in a lot of emotional stress. We end up not understanding ourselves very well. I'm curious what you all think of this concept, this concept of having multiple souls within ourselves, ourselves split into three parts, and a free soul that goes off and explores the other dimensions while our breath soul and body soul stay and maintain the body, maintain the state of life that is our physical life on earth. I bring this up also because the more I explore it and because I'm doing the next uh, live talk on past life regression, the more I'm coming to accept and bond personally with the idea of past lives or at least of living in other dimensions outside of our reality that we have and exist in on a daily basis. I've been brought into this a lot uh, through hypnosis and understanding my own dreams, which I've been looking into for a long time since I was a child studying what it, what is this experience in this state. And I think the reason that I've been able to live and let my, as we call it in this instance, free soul grow and mature is because my life has been lived in the world of art and creativity. But not everybody does that. Most people seem to push their soul down in some way. They don't pay attention and let their dreams be part of their lives. I think you should take a look at this article at firstamericans.com and uh, check it out and read um, the insights it has as to this kind of thinking. Another thing I recommend that you check out is the TEDx 
from Elizabeth Gilbert, the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, where she talks about genius and where it comes from and the idea of viewing genius not as a smart person or part of yourself, but as viewing it as something outside of yourself that visits you and brings you good ideas. You just have to grasp onto them when they come somehow. Then we start to have a different relationship with reality. We start to have a different relationship with who we are. And we, in effect, will be more connected with others less full of guilt, and able to more easily explore and be creative. So here's an empowering question for you for this week. What can you start doing today in order to allow your dream world or free soul to have a more powerful existence and your life And how can you allow this experience to guide you to a more creative life? And now back to my interview with James Mapes. Yeah, I love love how you begin with the lemon and bring everybody into it. I'll tell you a story about that. Great. Um, Do you know who Al Hirschfeld is? Yes, I do. Okay. In my living room hangs a Hirschfeld. For, for those people who are listening who might not know, Hirschfeld's a famous uh, illustrator who's done everybody who's anybody's um, illustration. And he always he always puts his initials in it. What is the, the thing that he always puts in the drawings? He puts he puts Nina, hidden. Nina, yes. It's his daughter? His daughter's name. Yeah. Yeah. And for anybody who's curious about this, they should Google Al Hirschfeld because yeah, sure. he did the front of the New York Times art section. He, he died at 99 years old. He was also a good friend. I also worked with his uh, late wife uh, for cancer, and so he did the illustration as a gift, mm. which I think I could finance my book, by the way, for what it's Probably, worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, so <clears throat> my kind of brand is and has been the lemon. I've used it in every one of my 2000 plus hypnosis shows to start it. I've used it at the beginning of every one of my corporate talks, uh, that I have ever done. And it's in Al Logan. So uh, I will tell you a funny story about this. Uh, at the end of my hypno, I always start with the lemon. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the hypnosis show, Let's say I've got a thousand people in the audience, or two thousand. Let's say a thousand. So I've I've got twenty on stage, and another fifty advertised in the audience, which go out to the sound of a harmonica and they're worked into the show. And by the way, my hypnosis show, there's nothing off color. You could bring a five year old child to. It's a thinking person's hypnosis show. Great, and and it's entertaining and fun and all that. So uh, at the end, I always leave a suggestion. If you ever see my show in the future, ever, and you're in good health and you're in person, physically in my presence, and you see me bite a lemon, you will do one thing because you want to do it more than anything in the world. You will get up out of your seat in the audience, walk up on stage, take a chair and fall asleep. So 
I, this is the, the prime example of this. I was at UConn, University of Connecticut Stores, for 35 years. Mm-hmm. They asked me to do the 25th alumni show. I said, sure. So there were about 700 people in the audience. My wife was there. I get up on stage. I bite the lemon. Now, you have to expand your imagination to a Buster Keaton movie or yes. a Three Stooges <laughs> movie or whatever. Think about this. I bite the lemon. Not only were the 20 chairs filled, there were bodies all over the all over the stage on top of each other, all down the aisle, all in over 270 people had seen my show in the past 25 years. It and, and shot the, the bloody hell out of me. Wow. So and post-hypnotic suggestion just I, stayed through the years with all of those people and yeah. they all reacted to it. That's yep. fascinating. So I use this. I use this as a metaphor for the power of programming and anchoring, sure. you know, that this, this suggestion is no different than a fear of spiders or no different than, than feeling loved by being touched or feeling loved by being, uh, by hearing the words or whatever you want to say. That's the power of the mind. And that's the power you can do with self-hypnosis for yourself or working with someone. Now, the other thing because I launched out in the corporate world in 1982, I was still doing colleges, but the corporate career with Quantum Leap Thinking, which was my first book, mm-hmm. um, and is still doing magnificently well, that became the name of my organization. It was on creative thinking. So I was traveling all over the world, and that was the YPO with, with this um, uh, my greatest fear was all these college kids who got me in the corporate field that grew up and they said, do you do something other than hypnosis show? I said, well, yeah, what do you do? Well, I do this program on creativity and I got off the phone. I told my wife, I said, you know what? I'm going to have to create a program on creativity. <laughs> <laughs> and that became huge because I was with Washington speakers Bureau for 27 years. So, uh, so here I, I my greatest fear was that somebody would have that suggestion implanted in him. So over the years and years go by, hundreds of corporate speeches on teamwork and leadership and nothing happened. <clears throat> so I'm hired in South Carolina uh, to speak for a half-day workshop in the middle of the woods at a retreat uh, for all the presidents of Sun Bank. Now, some banks are all big down south yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, I grew up so in Florida. I'm I, unfamiliar. <laughs> okay, you know some banks. So here I am. I walk up on stage. I've got a huge notebook. I've worked on this hard, and I put together a half-day workshop program on leadership and creative thinking and everything. I, on stage is a flip chart, a director's chair, uh, and, a mic, and I'm on a, and a wireless mic. Yep. And I think a little table with my lemon on it, some water, and a podium with my notes. So I walk up. There are 26. <laughs> Sorry, I just yeah, got you know where this coming. is going. <laughs> 26 presidents in the audience. Yeah. I bite the lemon. One guy jumps up, walks up on stage, shakes like he has palsy, and he collapses. Well, 
I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I knew what it had to be. Yeah. But the other 25 presidents thought he had a, had a seizure and died. Right. So now I have to explain what happened. It's utter chaos, by yeah. the way, utter chaos. Totally. I have to explain what happened. I have to revive the guy who is pretty bloody shaken up. He's helped back to his seat. I go up, I take my entire notebook, and I tear it in half. And I say I can no longer give the speech, the talk, the workshop that I was going to. I now have to talk about the power of belief systems. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it was... So, so was that the first time that had presented itself to you as an, as a success? The the first, you mean, did somebody react to that? That somebody had, had kept the suggestion from a previous show and, and yeah. Oh, not, not in college or universities because how I always started my show wherever I was, because I'd be invited back year after year. Everybody came because they wondered if somebody would get up, and there was always two or yeah, three or yeah, four good. of them. And so this was the, the first sort of out-of-context, different show-type situation. The only time, yeah. by the way, yeah, that it's okay. ever happened. Wow. That's fabulous. Um, <laughs> how did you come up with the lemon thing? Do you remember? I will tell you exactly how I came up with the lemon thing. Uh, and I will tell you about my first hypnosis show. Great. Uh, I started my clinical practice in 73, I put together a show in 74 Well, I was doing mentalism and uh, doing soap operas in New York, but I wanted to put together a show, but there were only three people at the time that were doing shows, not counting Kreskin. That was Ken Weber, Gil Eagles, and John Kolish. Right. And John was in his 80s, I think. So I didn't didn't have any mentors. I didn't have anybody to teach me anything. Right. So – uh, I, so I got a hold of Orman McGill's Encyclopedia of Stage Hypnosis. As one must do. I read do. it. I, yep. I think I think there was an example of that in there, but I'm not sure. Uh, or there was an example of something in there. It's and somewhere because I I know I've experienced it on some level in some <laughs> book somewhere long ago, and I don't know exactly where. So it must yeah. be somewhere. Well, I think it was Orman McGill, and it was yeah. 1974. And I started at my first show. You know, the thousands I've done since, I've never not used it. Yeah. Uh, and it because it and that became my brand as as the imaginologist. Uh, you, you know, if you're on Facebook, you saw I've been working this past week on a new uh, with a designer yep. on a new post yep. for the show, mm-hmm. and and that's why I'm going to do the show and not mention mentalism. I'm not going to mention hypnosis. The entire show is only so. If somebody says, "Well, isn't this hypnosis?" I say, "Well, there's a word called hypnosis, and it's, it's about your imagination and your focus." Well, isn't this a trick? Well, it's a right. it's your imagination. I mean, really. I mean, you call it anything you want. So, I uh, that's the point I'm going to take with this, mm-hmm. um, and the and how I'm going to try to brand myself because then you can go off into wellness. You can go off into creativity. You can go off into any direction you want. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still going to have a, a committee of people come up for? Well, for this? Yeah. I don't, you know, 
I have I'm doing the premiere of the show, and I don't have a show yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can, I can edit this part out if you want. <laughs> no, I don't. Listen, people should know that things. <laughs> if you you know, I'm always create something new. Well, how you don't create something new? That's right. the definition of creativity is the rearrangement of of the old into the new. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't I created that past live show, I created my hypnosis show out of nothing. I mean, something out of nothing. So, no, I mean, people need to know that creativity is a process of courage and creating. So I do know a few things. I do know in my fantasy, and I'm still laying this out. I'm going to work on it a little bit today. I know I'm going to tell a story that of the first, um, I'll tell you how I'm going to start. I am mm-hmm. going to walk out on stage with a deck of cards and I'm going to trip, and I'm going to throw the cards on the audience, uh-huh. and I'm going to and scare the hell out, and everybody's going to go. I'll say, pick a card, and then I'm going to pretend I'm crying, and they're going to go crazy, and I'm going to turn around and say, that was my first magic show I ever did when I was nine years old with all my relatives and the neighborhood, and I charged a quarter, and that's how it began, and I ran away and cried. Yeah. And I said, I am not a card guy. My hands are huge. I don't know anything about card tricks. And by the way, that's true. I don't. <laughs> and which is which is much to the chagrin of most of my mentalist friends. But I just because the moment you see a deck of cards, it says trick. Yeah. So then I'm going to say this is an evening of the imagination. And I'm going to tell a story about performing for a sheikh in Saudi Arabia when I read his mind and had him pick a number, wrote it down on a card, and they all they all screamed, Allah, he's read the Sheikh's mind, I thought I was going to die. That's going to be my first story. All the stories that I will tell about finding out I was adopted, uh, about walking on fire for the first time ever, nice. the first fire walk ever given in the United States, and really? other series of stories. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I, actually, the guy who taught Tony Robbins and me, Tony Robbins was my yeah. class. His name is Wayne uh, Bruce Tolly, T-O-L-L-Y, Burkhan. If you Google Bruce Burkhan, B-U-R-K-A-N, he'll, he's the father of Firewalk. He's oh, a yeah, firewalk. I, he I'm familiar. I, I just did one in December. And oh, I've, well, I've... He, wanted to give, he wanted to give it to me to make my career, and I told them, listen to how stupid I was from 1976. Nobody's <laughs> ever going to make a career out of firewalking. So he gave Tony it to Robbins. Robbins was in your class. <laughs> yes. That's great. He gave it to Tony. It's, it is wonderful. You know, yeah, and, and the, the interesting insights. thing, if you, look at, if you look at Master of the Imagination, which is going to be the name of the show, as an evening of storytelling, mentalism, and hypnosis, but I will not have... You know, I may have to say that to get some traction if I do an interview, right. but it's not going to be in any of the, on a poster or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I I have been trying, um, I shouldn't use that word. Uh, I have been aiming <laughs> at uh, creating a show that achieves the s- similar, th- like, I think we're online in the same goal, the imagination. Power of the imagination is sort of an underlying theme for me as well. And and I've been wanting to be able to give a hypnosis show that's not a hypnosis show so that people don't go, oh, I just saw a hypnosis show. And you don't have to have a bank of 
20 chairs and invite 50 people up and then, you know, but it, it's a, it's a delicate and hard balance. It's what basically what I've come to is that I allow for that to happen if I get the people where it happens, but I have built in things that happen when it doesn't happen so that there's always a show. But when we get the good show that there all the, you know, really cool stuff happens when there's the right people, then that's a real special experience for everybody. But I'm, I mean, I, I think I'm going to be working on making this better and better for probably the rest of my life. So, um, I'm totally fascinated listening to everything that you have to say about your path and, and how you've come to these things and all the amazing people you've worked with. Um, it's, it's even more than I, than I knew. Um, there's so I many, got one other thing when you're yeah. ready, I've got one other thing. Yeah. You okay. can ask a question then. I want to tell you about this workshop I did with Anthony Galey because it might be enlightening to your listeners. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you the backstory on this is I've always been a great admirer of Anthony Galey. And for those of you who don't know who he is, I strongly suggest you Google him because his, his videos are fabulous and a learning experience. So Anthony created um, a brand where he would go into major corporations and he would talk on goal setting and on productivity. And he'd talk to sales groups. And to illustrate this, he basically would do a hypnosis. Uh, he would do a talk on sales and then he would do a hypnosis uh, demo, but it wasn't a hypnosis show by any means whatsoever. It was never meant to be a hypnosis show. And he, he really was in demand all the time. So I had, I had been a great admirer. I never met him. And about a year ago, just about a year ago, I had heard that he retired because he had a, an issue with his brain. He had a physiological problem. And so I just went, you know what? I'm going to call him. So I picked up the phone and I don't ever think anybody knows who I am. So I said, Anthony Gailey said, who is this? I said, James Mapes. He said, holy, I've always wanted to be you. I went, you know who I am. You know? so <laughs> it, was, it was a great ego boost. So we immediately locked together because we both read a book by Julian James called The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. It's a heavy lifting book, but it changed both of us. And we read it in the early 70s. Okay. And when he, and so um, we would, I would call him about every two weeks and he would tell me what was going on. And, and I, you know, finally I said, you know what? You can't perform anymore uh, for obvious reasons, but he can still coach, which he's doing. And he can still do workshops. I said, we should do something together. What are we going to do together? I don't know. So, we talked for another two months, and, and we came up with an idea. Why don't we do a workshop for stage hypnotists to teach them how to move in the corporate arena? Now, I will say this without any regret. Um, I think corporate hypnotists, I think any hypnotist has a huge ego. Hypnotist, hanging out with hypnotists is not my favorite thing in the world. No. Mentalists, however, do not have as big of ego and they share and they credit. Hmm. Now, if you go online to this corporate masterclass that Tony started, actually we started it, and it's online, uh, Corporate Hypnotist, it's called, www. You'll see people already fighting. You know, I don't participate. I can't, I can't deal with any of that. I don't even respond. <laughs> but 
what we we thought, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's do a two-day workshop, very intense, of how and get the best hypnotists from around the world and teach them how to change their mindset about what hypnosis is, how to use it for teaching, and how to break in the corporate arena. How are we going to do that? So we worked and we worked, and I came up with the idea of masterclass because years ago I did a something called a mastery of acting workshop that changed my life in New York. Yeah. Um, so we called it corporate hypnosis masterclass. Again, we didn't know if we were going to have three people. We got we put some money into it. Uh, it was a it was through the roof wonderful. We had twenty three hypnotists from around the world, far away as China, uh, uh, South Korea. Uh, Canada. Wow. And, and it was an intense experience that we created out of nothing. And at the end of it, and nobody gave us any garbage because we were ready to deal with. And uh, so there were sections of, I did a lot on performing and mindset and how you use the hypnosis demonstration Mm -hmm. to make a point. So you actually set up your hypnosis demonstration so that it's already set up to talk about leadership or goal setting or wellness. Right. So everything, and we were, we did it in reverse. I always wanted to do my hypnosis demonstration first. So I could go back and say, how do you think I got people to do that? And, uh, how do you think that happened? I'd say, well, let's, let's examine it. And here's the 10 key points of management, which is a bad word. Now you don't use management, but here's the 10 key (laughs) points of leadership from taking charge, how did I do that, from giving clear goals. So it became a learning experience. He did it with goal setting. So the, the two-day workshop was so intense, how to brand. We had a former agent come in and talk about the mentality of agents and what to do and not to do. We had Richard Barker come in. It was a little strange, but I like him. Talk about uh, social media. Uh, I talked about performing and uh, I gave them away a lot of my secrets of how to incorporate uh, demonstrations into your talk. Not not just hypnosis demonstrations, but demos. Yeah. And Anthony talked a lot about. So at the end of it, everybody hugged. We you know we went like fourteen hours a day. Yeah. So the point of this story is, you can you can really use. Uh, Hypnosis without using it. See, Anthony never asked for volunteers. He would do he would do certain things with the audience, including the arms rising and falling, right. and and go right out in the audience and grab your and people. Boom. Yeah, yeah. He but but he'd do them. He'd put them out right in the audience. Wow. And then bring them up. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So you don't ask for volunteers. You just no, I never ask for I never ask for volunteers. I have never asked, which I've been criticized for, but I do the hand clasp and that's it. So if I have a thousand people, I've got two hundred up on stage. Uh and then I do the arms rising and falling and put them out and then yeah. send the people to home respond back to the audience. When you say arms rise, rising and falling, are we doing a, a heavy thing in one arm and a balloon in the other type of thing? Or are you mean right, the right, okay, yeah. right, right. I love I yeah. love that. It's great. Yeah. Um when you say you take your hands clapping, clasping people, are you just are you just telling them if your hands are stuck together, come up on stage? Yep, that's great. I have them. I have them. How I how I kind of trick people into this is I say I'm going to teach you a stress reduction exercise, and this is a one minute 
to sit 90 second stress reduction exercise and help improve your memory, Pat. reduce your stress. If I were to have you in a private session, I would do this for 12 minutes, right. but I'm going to give you this. And at the end of it, here's what I want you to do. And yeah. I demonstrate with your, your hand out. Imagine there's a capsule of glue. You put your right hand, you squeeze them together. You focus on your hands. I talk them through it. They can't get their hands apart. The people that can't get their hands apart come up to the tune of Rocky. <laughs> That's great. Uh. See now, this is what happens, James. We we're at we're at ten after, so that's <laughs> that's our time. That's all right. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. That's all right. um, uh, I, I've been doing a thing lately when I do the hands clasping that uh, that uh, it's about the right brain brain versus the left brain, and your right brain is your cr- creativity side. And it said if you uh, lock your fingers together like this, and they all do, and look at which which thumb is on top. If it's the left thumb, that means that you're more dominant on the the right brain side. If it's the left, th- and then I just start talking them into it, and they get stuck. Um, but they love that little tidbit of the whole left brain right brain thing. Uh, because part right. of my part of my story of my personal story is my creative background, and I I had brain surgery in in '06 uh, for a seizure thing that was going on with me. So um, that which is a big key part of of the uh, the show. So uh, I I talk about that as being like you know I have I really do have to rely on my right side of my brain because if I don't, uh, the left side's not so good. I like your personal story. I think personal stories. Are And that was a question that a lot of these hypnotists had. I mean, they were just understand that we did this workshop with stage comedy hypnotists. Right. So so the information we were giving them for 90 percent of them was really out of the box. And And it made some of them fearful because you have to change your your approach, your mindset and everything in order to go into the corporate market. Um, and uh, and Anthony has a, a brain issue too, but it's inoperable. So I think your personal story creates empathy. Yeah, and no, it does. The more you work that, in, yeah, yeah, the more I, you work that in, the better. I I, I also did a, a TEDx a number of years ago, and and that was the main part of the the TEDx was the the brain story, and and uh, it's been great, and it's in every show I do. I talk about it to some degree. You know, some shows you you, you can't. Sp- sit and talk as long as other shows, uh, depending on where you are and what you're doing. But, um, I, I also am taking on the, you know, how do you entertain the corporate world? Because it, if you approach them with hip- hypnosis and you, you know, the concept of hypnosis, uh, they're there and they don't want to look bad. So, you know, they don't want to get up on stage and, and you have to make it in such a way that it's very, it's not going to make a fool of anyone. And that's, well, that's if, you wanna, if, if you want to, if you want, if you want to, uh, end this up in about 60 seconds. I'll stay another five minutes and give you some solid tips of how to market yourself. All right. Well, it has been a lovely time talking to you. James. I I will bend you as much as you'll let me. So, so that's, that's lovely. And uh, this has been great. And I'm, this is going to be a wonderful episode and I can't wait to edit it together and listen to your stories again. Uh, do you want to tell everybody, you know, your uh, website and and that information? Yes, absolutely. Boy, I'd love to figure out a way to get to Hong Kong is what I would do. My wife's shaking her head yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd love people uh, to go to my website. Uh, it's James Mapes, 
J-A-M-E-S-M-A-P-E-S, www.jamesmapes.com. And on there is my TEDx talk. Uh, if you would like, now that's my main website, but if you'd like to look at a little hypnosis stuff, I got another website that's real, R-E-A-L, hypnosis, realhypnosis.com. And soon I'll have a third website, which you'll find out about. So I'd love people to sign up for my monthly newsletter, which um, I, I'm about to send out. If you sign up today on my website, uh, I've been working on this for two months. It's how to hack your brain for creativity. So it's about a thousand word article and it's called strategies for living an exceptional life. And I've been doing this for years. So I hope uh, people get a lot out of this uh, discussion. And it sounds like you have been and continue to live an exceptional life. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank James Mapes again for coming on uh, the show and doing that interview with me. It was a wonderful time for me, and I'm feeling good about uh, the people that I've been meeting and the conversations I've been having lately. And I feel like that March 23rd full moon is going to be a marker of something. I'm not sure what exactly, but things are things are in a cool place right now. The world is in a transformative spirit. I don't know if you also feel that, but uh, there's a lot of energy building up and it might be that spring is about to be sprung and I'm in Hong Kong. So I get a lesser intense feeling of spring because we have a pretty warm winter, but I still feel this build in energy and sense of direction and ability to really take on things that I might've been a little bit hesitant to take on before. If you're also feeling that, let me know. I want to know if the world is also engaged in this energy or if it's a personal energy that is part of who I am and where I am right now. I want to thank you again for listening to Mysterious World. You can contact us on the Mysterious World podcast webpage, mysteriousworldpodcast.com. You can listen to this on Blueberry on Stitcher or on iTunes, as well as downloading it from the Mysterious World Podcast website. You can also get you to that website to that by going to, to stuartpalm.com slash podcast. And you can send an email to mysteriouspodcast at gmail.com. I used to use Mysterious World Podcast, but I was uh, told that it's just too long and people have trouble figuring out the spelling and such. So mysteriouspodcast.com is the new email. Uh, just spell that out in lowercase, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-O-U-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Stuart Palm and give me a reason to be on Twitter. I'm. It's the social media thing I've never really developed so much f uh, as Facebook and the other ones. So... Let me know why. Why should I be tweeting? I hope you all have a wonderful March, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the next Mysterious World podcast.
Our next guest will be Richard Webster. I'm very excited to have Richard Webster on. He is probably the author of more books than anyone else I know on subjects of uh, psychic nature. So look forward to that and uh, have a blessed day. Thank you again. This is Stuart Palm signing off. Just for fun, we choose to relate everything we see and do within the context of quantum physics. We can take the position that we construct reality at every moment of our lives. We choose, consciously or unconsciously, among the many options constantly offered to us. That is a little excerpt from Quantum Leap Thinking defined by James Mapes, who you've just been listening to. Thus, at the quantum level of reality, when we choose to see what we see, reality becomes both paradoxical and sensible at the same time. Our acts of observation are what we experience as the everyday world. Quoting Fred Allen Wolf from the book Taking the Quantum Leap. Thanks again.